So today we're going to be reading uh, from God's Word. We're reading from Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 to 17. I'm reading from the Message Translation today. So if you've got a Bible on you, why don't you grab it, get in front of you. We're going to be walking through a little bit of of this passage and dropping into some other um, little passages of Scripture today as we dig into today's content. So we're reading Exodus 31, verses 12 to 17, and this is God's Word. God spoke to Moses Tell the Israelites, above all, keep my Sabbaths, the sign between me and you, generation after generation, to keep the knowledge alive that I am the God who makes you holy. Keep the Sabbath, it's holy to you. Whoever profanes it will most certainly be put to death. Whoever works on it will be excommunicated from the people. There are six days for work, but the seventh day is Sabbath, pure rest, holy to God. Anyone who works on the Sabbath will certainly be put to death. The Israelites will keep the Sabbath, observe Sabbath keeping down through the generations as a standing covenant. It's a fixed sign between me and the Israelites. Yes, because in six days God made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he stopped and took a long, deep breath. And we thank God for his word as it still speaks to us today. So today we're into the fourth uh, session in our series uh, called Devoted. And we've been looking at the sorts of habits and rhythms that we form around our devotion to following Jesus. And they, in turn, form us. Prayer, the Bible, silence. And today it's about rest. Now the funny thing about rest uh, is that some of you have just eye-ruled at me, right? Maybe like me, you're from the apostolic end of gifting. You're driven. You're a visionary type person who spends your life wanting to move into the things that you believe God has you for, right? So life very often looks pretty busy, hectic, overwhelming at times if you're really honest with yourself, but you're doing what you think you're meant to be doing with your life. Doing, 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 always doing. Or what about if your plate is full as a young mother or father, or you've just taken on that new job, or you're frantically working on getting a PhD over the line? Maybe that's you, right? So the constant reminders of rest that normally come from parents or from in-laws, right, are met with eye rolls, with a posture that usually says, whatever, right? I've just got stuff to do. Leave me alone. Stop telling me to rest. Or maybe, like so many people, about a year into lockdowns and a global pandemic, you feel like you have rested enough, like you've had too much rest. You feel like you've been waiting for your life to start up again. It's time for action. It's time to do something. But the truth is that when we look at our world, rest is not something that we're good at. I read this a year or so ago uh, from a BBC News article entitled The Future Exhaustion or Burnout, and I thought it so profound that I decided at that point that I needed to save it to my reading list because it struck me so much. Just listen to this. A few years ago, Anna Katharina Schaffner became the latest victim of the exhaustion epidemic. It began with a kind of mental and physical inertia, as she put it, a sense of heaviness in all that she did. Even the most mundane tasks would sap her of all her energy, and concentrating on her work became increasingly difficult. Yet when she tried to relax, 
She would find herself, find herself obsessively checking her emails at all hours as if relief from her NUI would suddenly ping into her inbox. So alongside the weariness came feelings of emotional despondency. I was disenchanted, disillusioned, and hopeless, she said. These feelings will be familiar to countless others from Pope Benedict XVI to Mariah Carey who have been diagnosed with exhaustion. If the media are to be believed, it's a purely modern ailment. Almost every time Schaffner turned on the TV, she would see a debate on the trials we face in our 24-7 culture. All the commentators represented our age as the most terrible one out there. It's the absolute apocalypse for our energy reserves, she says. There is no doubt that exhaustion is a pressing concern today with some particularly startling figures emerging from emotionally draining sectors such as healthcare. A study of German doctors found that nearly 50% of physicians appeared to be suffering burnout, reporting, for instance, that they feel tired during every single hour of the day and that the mere thought of work in the morning left them feeling exhausted. Interestingly, and here we go, men and women seem to deal with burnout in different ways. One recent Finnish survey found that male employees reported exhaustion were far more likely to take extended sick leave than burned out women, for instance. Given that depression tends to involve lethargy and detachment, some have argued that burnout is just a stigma-free label for the same condition. In her book, Schaffner quotes one German newspaper article that claimed burnout is just a luxury version of depression for high-flying professionals. Only losers become depressive, the article continued. Burnout is a diagnosis for winners, or more specifically, for former winners. Our culture is mental, right? It seems that even in exhaustion, we're competitive. This article is just a snippet of the stuff that's out there. It doesn't matter what field you work in, whether you're in uh, the church area of life or pastors, whether you're in healthcare, whether you're in business, whether you're in education. It doesn't matter where you look. The trend as you look at stats and research on work or mental health or social media is that we, as a culture of people, are exhausted. Our culture is screaming for rest and we don't know how to get it and we don't know how to take it. But it turns out right from the start that rest was God's idea. So when we go right back to the very start of the creation narrative, right, the creation story, we read this in Genesis 2, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Did you take that in? Because I've read that countless times. And I'm still not sure that I have. God creates everything, right? Thus the heavens and the earth are completed in all their vast array, right? And then the God who is infinite in resource and in energy takes a rest. You know what? We often speak of the verses that come before these verses in Genesis 1 and how we're made in his image. And yet we ignore so often the verses, these verses, and they're every bit the same. They're every bit as important. They are verses that also call us to live in the image of God, of the God who rests. The problem is that we're far more likely to look like our earthly fathers in this regard than we are to look like our heavenly fathers. 
You'll understand that I don't miss the irony in what I'm saying as a son of my father, a man who has worked his whole life like every day was his last day. But the fact that God himself rested is not the only interesting thing about this part of Genesis 2. Um, Secondly, it's that God made rest itself holy. In other words, it's important, right? In other words, to rest and to make it holy is to recognize the rhythm of six days of work and one day ceasing work is written into the very core of what it means to be a human being. It's a pattern hardwired into what it means to be human, where wholeness is only possible when we fulfill it. You know, we know that in so many areas of life that when humanity roars against the hardwired rhythms that disaster usually follows. The question is, what if rest was one of those things too? What if we could be a less exhausted, less burned out, less anxious people if only we learned how to rest? God is saying that intimacy with him can't be rushed and resting is one of the ways that we find it. To be a person who lives devoted, and that's what this series is all about, then we need to take rest seriously. So God rests, the rest is holy, and that rest has a name. The name is Sabbath, right? This word has actually got quite a few meanings. We just take it as kind of Sunday here, right? Sabbath, Sunday. But it actually means to stop, to cease, to be complete, or even to celebrate, right? Those are all, those are all correct translations of that one word. The problem is that if you grew up in my generation, right, Sabbath tended to become about all the things you couldn't do. So when I was a kid, right, we didn't go to the shops on a Sunday. I wasn't allowed to go to birthday parties that happened on a Sunday. I was that kid, right? We didn't get to watch TV, except bizarrely the two uh, shows that were allowed in most Christian households that I knew of that time. One, Songs of Praise, of course it was allowed. Number two, Last of the Summer Wine. I mean, why is that, right? What was it about Last of the Summer Wine that made it okay to watch as well? Anyway, It became religious, became legalistic. And actually speaking later, Jesus himself in the middle of a debate with the Pharisees about what you could and you couldn't do said this. The Sabbath was made for mankind, not mankind for the Sabbath. In other words, Sabbath is a gift, a hardwired longing in the lives, in our lives at the very heart of the created order, gifted by a good God who knows how to rest to his creation that desperately need it. I've come to believe that most of us don't get rest, don't get the Sabbath because we don't know how to do it so it doesn't happen. You know, the opposite of work isn't rest, it's sleep. A day off does not mean rest. Sunday does not mean Sabbath. So how do we rest then, right? If it's not maybe what we think it is, if it's not maybe how we've lived to this point, how do we rest? Well, the framework um, that I'm working off today in terms of this uh, talk is from a hugely influential book by a writer called Marva Dawn, and the book is called Keeping the Sabbath Holy. And the whole point is that if we want to truly find Sabbath rest, then it's about a movement. It's not a one-off act. It's not like ready, steady, rest, right? That's not how it works. You'll know that uh, most of us, whenever you eventually get a week's holiday, okay, you want to go to Spain or whatever it is you want to do, right? It's not until about the third or the fourth day in that you actually find yourself disengaging from the stuff that has your head and has your heart and actually able to relax and to rest into the holiday. 
holiday itself. Like those first couple of days, you're just not there yet. It takes time. It takes movement that takes you to kind of live into the rest that you're wanting to receive. And it's the same with the Sabbath. Marvin Don says that there's four distinct movements that it takes to truly Sabbath every week, and they are ceasing, resting, embracing, and feasting. It's how she suggests Sabbath should be lived. You see, the Jews have this other word, and it's Menuah. It's actually the word rest that we read in the passage that we were reading from Exodus early on. And the interesting thing is that so much of how, what we've learned about Sabbath is actually learned from Jewish culture, passed down through generations, the richness of that practice over time. Why? Because the Bible actually has very little to say about exactly how you should do Sabbath rest. It's one of these incredible things about the Bible where it tells us it's critically important, but then it doesn't tell us how to do it. So, so much of it has been learned through that gener- through generation after generation of Jewish culture. And you see, this word menuah, it's actually more about celebration or happiness. You see, to the Jews, you create rest. It's about cultivating an environment, an atmosphere where life can be enjoyed, where your world can be enjoyed, where God can be enjoyed. It's more about a way to live than just a 24-hour time slot. The best parallel I can think of that you might get uh, in this day and age is that manure to the Jewish people is like huga to the Scandinavian people. You know that word, huga, that's written up around Ikea all over the place, right? Um, And it's kind of like an atmosphere. It's a feeling. It's candles lit and coziness, homely. It's the way home makes you feel. That's what manure is to the Jewish people. It's time that needs our full attention. And the first movement, which is the one I'm focusing on today, I can't really get into all of the other four. There's a brief explanation in the guide that you're going to get this week for the practice in the week that is to follow, right? But the one we're going to focus on today is that first one, ceasing, because I think it's the one that we probably struggle most with now. So here's the scene from our scripture reading today, right? Moses has led the nation of Israel out of captivity from Pharaoh and Egypt on the path that we're familiar with, right? Led by the pillar of fire uh, and then through the Red Sea, which was parted and so on and so on, right? It's the story that we know really well. So they're now free. They've been in captivity. Now they're free. But now Moses has to focus on trying to reform the people of God in a new context, right? They're meant to be a new people. So how do you form a new people? And so God gives the Ten Commandments, right? And from the Ten Commandments, then there's this whole other block of kind of ethical commandments and things that follow the Ten, which are the ones that we know really well. But really for the next kind of 10 or so chapters on beyond that, Moses is kind of walking through ethical commandments, what it means to live those out. And it's so that the people gather around the right values. They're trying to form a new people and they want, to, they want them to be formed around the right values. And right slap bang in the middle of the Ten Commandments is the Sabbath command. Actually, commentators on the commandment say that it's the hinge commandment. It's the one that holds all ten together, right? Because it looks at the first three commandments, right? It looks at their direction towards God, right? And we get that element in the Sabbath. But also the next six, they focus towards our relationships with our neighbors, the people that are around us. And the Sabbath does that too, and then throughout the rest of the ethical commandments that are, that are in there in the book of Exodus, Moses is kind of teaching into those again and again. And Sabbath comes up a couple more times. 
And at the heart of one of those, we read this. For six days, work is to be done. But the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. It's pretty intense. Like, if you don't observe it, you should be put to death. That's how important this command was. And at the beginning of our ceasing is the obvious one, ceasing from work. But there are a couple of things about ceasing from work that are important, because I said at the start, right, a day off doesn't mean Sabbath. The biggest element of this is that Sabbath is not just stopping work. It's stopping work and honoring God. In Leviticus 23, God restates the same Sabbath command. And in that case, he calls it a Sabbath to the Lord. In other words, ceasing has a direction. We don't just stop for stopping's sake. We stop and we turn our attention away from work and onto another. And the important thing about it is rhythm. We know that. We know that the important things in our life work in rhythm. Sabbath has to be in rhythm every seven days. Calvin Miller writes that learn to obey. Only he who obeys a rhythm superior to his own is free. And it's true, isn't it? I mean, if we just decide, for example, to go against the seasons and dress for the summer in the winter or the winter in the summer, right? Well, we're going to freeze whenever we're in the winter and we're going to be far too warm in the summer because the seasons are a rhythm superior to our own. And so we have to obey it, don't we? And Sabbath is the same. See, the Jewish people, for example, they believe that Sabbath actually starts in the evening and essentially runs from sunset to sunset, right? So that we sleep into the day. We have ceased our work. We have surrendered to sleep. We've let go of control into our Sabbath. What a great rhythm. What an incredible pattern. You know, it turns out that work is not nearly as excellent as maybe we tell ourselves. Like, I love my job. I love that I get to do this. I love it, and I'm all in, right? But I'm learning that also I need to be all out. We cease our work. But secondly, we have to cease our productivity. And this is even harder than ceasing our work, isn't it? Sabbath is about laying aside our need to accomplish. I mean, for example, the first time you meet somebody new, okay, or somebody that you haven't seen in ages, I guarantee that probably your first question is, what do you do, right? And that's the first thing you do. The second thing you'll do is almost certainly assess what you think of them based on how they reply, don't you? That's why one of the worst things you can say if you're a new mom or a stay-at-home mom is, oh, I'm just a mom. Like, are you kidding me? Continued survival of the human race is in your hands. But right, okay, you're just a mom, right? Okay. At our core, we feel inferior because we haven't done everything we wish to do or that we haven't been as productive or as successful as someone else. So we try desperately to accomplish as one of the ways we seek to satisfy the deepest longings in our soul. And we usually only find out that it doesn't work when we actually accomplish the things that we set out to do and find that our emptiness is still there. 
Why do we judge the worth of others on the same basis that leaves us feeling so very empty ourselves, right? Why do we judge others on the things that they've done, the things that they've accomplished with their life, the jobs that they have, whenever we know that it leaves us feeling empty ourselves? When we Sabbath, we cease. We cease working, so we cease our desire for productivity. Except sometimes I feel, uh, even as we do try to rest, we almost get into some form of competitive Sabbathing. I mean, we've all got those friends, right, where we bump into them, and it's like when they tell you how they're spending their Saturday, it's like one meetup after another, 25 activities. The kids are doing this, they're doing that, and they just spend the day running around, right? And it's just productivity transfer. We need to cease because it's only when we cease that we remember where we get our value from. These are the words of Isaiah. These are the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 4. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Our value, your value, is not in your productivity. It's not in the one, it's, it, it is in the one who insists on giving you value. You know, I reckon most of us have been reminded of this hugely in a season where many of us furloughed, working from home, out of a job, homeschooling, and so on and so on and so on, have found our lives less productive than usual. And it's an identity crisis, isn't it? Like normally you're looking back, thinking about all the things you would have been doing this time of year, right? You would have been thinking about all the work you would have got done and all the things you would have achieved and all of that sort of stuff. And how much of our value do we hang on what we do or don't get done? You know, God certainly didn't choose Israel. And those incredible, beautiful words, God certainly didn't choose Israel because of its accomplishments. They were the least of the Near Eastern people's rebellious, self-centered feeling, but yet profoundly loved, profoundly chosen. I want to tell you, today that so are you regardless of how you produce or don't produce regardless of how well your work is going regardless of how much you love or don't love your job regardless of how much value you have ascribed to your work and all of that stuff through the years you are profoundly loved you are profoundly chosen and ceasing is where we get to remember that your value is not in your productivity. We cease our work. We cease our productivity. And thirdly, we cease our worry. You know, the older I get, the more I find that very often the solution to the stress that is in my life seems to require more stress 
just to get it, right? Like, I love cycling, okay? I've realized so often over the last number of weeks when I've eventually managed to cycle how much I need it in my life as this kind of outball, right? It's like, uh, it's, like a, it's, it, it's an out because of all the pressures and strains of work and life and all the rest. Being able to do something completely different, just get out the door, out into the world, even if it's blowing a gale or it's raining. Actually, I really need that in my life, but it seems to require a disproportionate proportionate amount of stress and amount of work just to get out the door. And the truth is that we carry too much stress and worry in our lives, isn't it? And it's this need for productivity that kills our rest because even when we try to switch off, we just spend our time worrying that everything is going to be okay. So purely practically, for example, I find that I made a promise whenever we planted Central uh, made a promise to Joy that I would finish writing sermons on a Friday night, right? It's obviously different in this time because this video was being recorded during the week to be dropped on a Sunday, but in normal rhythms, right? I made this promise that I would finish writing laptop closed sermon done on a Friday night so that I could close it, get it out of the way, and be able to spend the weekend together with Joy and with my family, right? I needed to get it done because I knew that if I didn't, I would never switch off. Maybe you're sat thinking, yeah, that sounds great, Dave, but what you're saying is that I should just set aside my worries for a day, right? What good will that do? It'll just be a day worse off by the time I get back to it. Actually, that's exactly what I'm saying. Maybe I'm particularly saying that as well to people today who are homeschooling, who are working from home, who are finding themselves working into the small hours of the morning every single day. I want to say that that's not sustainable for your life. I want to say that there comes a point where you're going to have to start to make some boundary decisions that I close the laptop now, that I switch the phone off now, that I will not check my emails today. That's exactly what I'm suggesting, that we put our worries aside for a day. Because Sabbath is not about running from our problems. It's an opportunity to receive grace to face them. For example, listen to what Paul writes in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what? The opposite of worry is encourage. It's thanks. We will not make our way through the worries of this life just with more courage to face it. But we can make our way through with more thanks. And Paul is urging the church in Philippi to be thankful in everything. Not for everything, but in everything. So our focus moves to thanks and ushers into the presence of God of peace. Paul is saying, lay aside your worries, if even for just one day. Instead of choosing thanksgiving, instead choose thanksgiving right in the middle of it all. Sabbath is a chance, it's a moment, a day to thank God right in the middle of whatever our lives look like. You know, I want to say that, you know, of all the things that maybe you pick up that you think you should practice on a Sabbath, Thanksgiving should absolutely be one of them. Like, you should be asking yourself, you should be asking the people you love, what are you thankful for on the Sabbath? 
I visited Dachau, uh, the concentration camp, uh, when I was in Germany a number of years ago. And whilst the whole experience was an incredibly moving experience, an incredibly powerful thing, um, one of the things that moved me most about my time uh, in the camp is that they have these rooms full of things, right? Clothing, shoes. Um, but in one particular area uh, in the museum, they have these artifacts that had been seized uh, and from the Jewish uh, prisoners of that time and created out of little scraps of wood or stone or fabric were these ceremonial objects which they used to worship. They saw as part of Sabbath to give thanks right in the middle of the worst agony. They were able to celebrate their holy time. Sabbath is a time to cease our worry. We cease our work. We cease our productivity. We cease our worry. But also it's a time to cease our desire for stuff, right? At the risk of sounding like my parents' generation, right? Where we never shopped on the, on the Sunday, right? It's to Sabbath and to rest means to let go of the thing in us that just desires more stuff, right? And it's in all of us. Walter Brueggemann said this, in our own contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance an alternative. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. Sabbath is a day to resist one of the great narratives of this world, that if our lives aren't, aren't defined by our work and what we do, then they're defined by the pursuit of better stuff, that the attempt to fill the hole in our lives with created stuff that can only be met by the Creator. So when Nehemiah, in the story of Nehemiah, finally gets the wall finished in chapter 10, right? And this is a big deal. This is a huge moment of celebration because the wall meant so much more than just a wall. It meant security. It meant you were seen as a city. It meant protection, all of that stuff. And as they finish the wall and begin to reform the people and the safety of their city, what's one of the things that he orders? No trading on the Sabbath. No focus on stuff. We're making the family values from new and we need to get our focus right. The Sabbath is to cease, to lift our focus from just what we want to what God wants for our lives. You know, when Joy and I got married, one of the things that we said from the very start that our Sundays, one of the primary focuses of our Sunday was going to be worship and was going to be other people, right? Not Stuff. We would not shop on a Sunday. We weren't going to get into that, right? So it's never meant that for us. What it has meant is to be together with other people on a Sunday. And what we found along the way was that this place, this community, is a focus in becoming the focus of our Sabbath, that we come here and we are broken week after week for our church family, for our friendships, and for the city. And you know what? It's good. We lift our eyes from our own lives, lift our eyes from the stuff that we want. And we find that our hearts are taken for the stuff that God wants. You know, one of the interesting features of Jewish culture is their, feature, is their focus on time rather than space. 
So, for example, you see how detailed their rituals are around festivals and meals, right? Because it's not about a time, right? It's, it's about a time. It's not about a place. So time together means, you know, getting everything in order, making an effort, making it special. And so they're incredibly ritualistic about all of their festival times in the year. And in the Old Testament, the word kadosh or holy, right? It's a pretty important word. It represents the mystery and the majesty of God. And yet, what is the first use? of the word kadosh in the Bible, it's that seventh day when all the creating was done. It's the Sabbath that the Lord calls kadosh. It's the Sabbath that the Lord calls holy. And that's significant, right? Because God had just finished creating the heavens and the earth. It's the most extraordinary building project of all time. And yet at the end of it all, he doesn't mark it with a plaque, a hill, a monument, some incredible structure in his honor. God marks it with a time, the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is the sanctuary of your life. It's the symphony. It's the cathedral. It's the mountaintop. It's the thin place. It's a place to lift our focus. It's finally a place to cease our enculturation. John Tyson writes this, the most effective discipling experience in the world is not the church, it's the pervading culture. And if we're honest with that statement, it's true, isn't it? But Sabbath is a statement of resistance. And we must resist because the call on all of our lives is to be members of another society, a contrast people with contrast values to the rest of the world that aren't defined by our work, aren't defined by our production and consumption, just of stuff, right? We're defined by the values of another world. You'll know this because we spent 15 weeks walking through a series called The Kingdom of Heaven is Like, trying to teach into and help us be rewired to see, believe, and live like we were people of a different culture. You know, for Jewish society and the early church, the Sabbath was the distinguishing mark. It was the thing that set them apart. It was the thing that made them distinct in the world in which they lived. Through every generation, it made them stand out. Do you know what? Even for my parents' generation, it was too. What if they didn't get that wrong? What if they were the ones that got that right? So too it should be for us too. You know, we were talking to some friends about Santa, right, and how to play it with L, right? It's one of the big conversations when you're a parent and you're in the early stages and you begin to see that Santa and all of that world of stuff becomes a thing in their life, right? And it's good and it's fun and all of that, right? We want to be able to celebrate and have fun as much as anyone did, right? And we were talking to them about it and what we were thinking and how we wanted to play that out with them. And, and they said to us, ooh, I mean, yeah, you know what? Your sense sounds great, but I mean, you don't want to be different from all the other kids, do you? And everything in us just wanted to scream out, yes, that's exactly what I want for my daughter. That's everything that I hope for her, that she might be different from everyone else, that she might visibly be the member of another culture, of another world of kingdom values. What if Sabbath is one of the places that demarcates her life from everyone else? What if Sabbath was one of the places that marked your life out from everyone else. You know, it's so often when I truly rest 
I discover, remember, and uncover again the beauty in others. Like when I'm living my life, eyes down, blazing through work, just like one day after another, just doing your thing. And right now, the kind of vibe uh, around our culture is just head down, isn't it? Just trying to get through, making sure everyone gets vaccinated. The light is at the end of the tunnel. I'm just doing my thing. I'm not paying much attention to everybody else. One of the questions that came up at our input session during the week was from somebody whose gifting was in shepherding, and they were finding themselves being more selfish with their own time right now. You are not alone. We all are in lots of ways, aren't we? Our eyes are down. We are just trying to get through. But when we Sabbath, we begin to notice things, right? Like I begin to notice things about Joy. She's the one I spend every day with. For about the last year, I've spent every day at home with her. But when we rest, I notice things. The way she parents, the way she speaks. I love how she wanders around the house and sings. She naturally goes into harmonies. And I love that about how she does it, how she leads, how she cares for others, the relentlessness with which she listens to voice notes from you guys, members of our church, replies, spends hours, the care and love that she has for other people and that I easily miss whenever we're just doing life and I'm just moving through one thing to the next. I notice when we rest. I really only recognize them when I Sabbath. And when I do, it spills out. Marva Dawn says this, ceasing to value what culture expounds sets me, to, sets me free to be truly myself, bound to reflect the character of God in my own unique ways and to see it in others. You know, ultimately, if I could say one thing about Sabbath today and why it's important is that Sabbath is a chance to stop trying to be God. We are not God. As we walked through the Kingdom of Heaven series and we looked at that parable of the vine, it's important to remember always that you and I, we're not the vine. We're just branches. We're not the vine. We're not God. And we need to stop trying to be God in our lives. The whole point is a day where rest, worship, and thanksgiving take center stage in our lives. We let go of the need to plan and create our own future. Let go of our need to accomplish. Let go of our need for more. and Rest in the security of a God who scandalously provides. And that's what we're going to do this week. If you're on the list, our mailing list, if you're not, just get in touch with us today at central at carmoney.org or through any of our social media channels and we'll get you on that list. Later on today, a guide is going to drop in your email inbox and this week's practice is Sabbath. We've got this funny thing with Elle at the minute, right, where um, she kind of has mistaken uh, the phrase, how dare you for I dare you, right? So if you stop her watching TV or you take something off her, she'll be, I dare you, right? And I I dare you this week to try the Sabbath. I dare you to take a day. If you can't take a day, book an evening, but take a time slot. Be deliberate about it. Be conscious and practice Sabbath. The guide is going to tell you how to this week. And that's what we're going to do. You know, there are lots of things you could do on a Sabbath. But today I just wanted to focus on the heart. 
Because so often in our following of Jesus, we rush into the what do we do rather than first understanding why and asking how can I change. In Matthew 11, 28 to 30, this is what it says. This is the message translation. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And I think that's for someone today. I think someone needed to hear those words again today. I don't know whether it's work or it's productivity. I don't know whether it's worry or anxiety. I don't know whether it's just the world and it's pressing down on you today. What do you need a rest from? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. You know what? The incredible thing is that in the Genesis story, right, God is building, he's doing, he's creating those first six days of which humanity gets made, right? And we're the pinnacle, aren't we? We're the thing. We're made in his image, right? We're that part of the creation story. And we spend so much time focusing on that, right? And he gets to the end of six days and then he gets to the seventh day. And what's the very first thing that he invites humanity, which he's taken so much joy. He says, it's very, we're very good, right? He gets there to the end. He makes humanity. What's the first thing he invites us to do. It's not work. It's rest. Day seven, the Sabbath. He invites us to rest. And that is just the same today. What do you need rest from today? What do you need grace for? Because it is available to you. If only we'd make the decision to take it. What if how we rest might once again be one of the identifying marks of who we are in this generation, in the years that are to come.